Hello and welcome to GeekSweat. We are the film news, reviews and interview podcast for film, filmmakers and film enthusiasts. Our episodes include Cult Film, Cult TV, Dom's Docs, Hot Topic, Interviews, BMKH Cut, Review Sweat, Trailer Talk and much, much more. We hope you enjoy our next episode. Hey, hey, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Geek Sweat. This is episode 113, 113 um, our second installment of Cult Film, where we specifically look um, at video game to film adaptations. And I am Jay, and co-presenting with me today, we've got the lovely jubbly King Dong. Hello. And the wonderful awesomest TJ. I only need two letters, hello. And um, just before I let you go on, I just want to say a quick hello to people we're live casting to as well. So I'm going to just quickly shout out some names. Uh, thank you for listening. Rachel Morgan, Debbie Howard, Erin Paul, John Michael Buban, Adam Shiflitz, uh Cody Jack. He's gone. Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea Kruger, um, Bowden. Brian Hughes, Monica Matelski, Brad Peets, Michael Dawson, Cody Jaggers, Smelly Package, Erin Pelican, and um, yeah, I think that's all of the names. Eric Fisher, someone who's called Morty, and Raymond Lemon. And Bruce. Well, hey. Well, hey. Thanks hello, for joining everyone. us, guys. Yeah, hello, everyone. So, Right, moving on. We are about to delve into the wacky world of the Mario Brothers. So, I, uh, you know, because we kind of look at look, looking at kind of video games that have kind of like been made into films. Yeah. Mario Brothers, nineteen ninety three, was pretty much the very first film um, that was adapted from a video game. So, for people who don't know much of the Mario Brothers. Um, so Mario Brothers was created by Nintendo. Um, it was a, he was originally a game character in Donkey Kong in 1981. Um, yeah. And then he got his own game in 1983. So it took 10 years before they actually made a film on the Mario Brothers. So this is kind of like moving on from Mario by himself to Mario having his brother Luigi um, and then taking that from the game to film, um, essentially. So, yeah, highly anticipated. And um, it starred Bob Hoskins as Mario, John Leguizamo, is that how you say it? Um, Leguizamo. 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 I can never say those names. Oh, tongue twister. Um, So he played Luigi and Dennis Hopper played Cooper, King Cooper. Um, So, yeah. So have any of you guys seen the film? I have. have I have seen it. And and have you guys played the games? I've seen the film, which was a bit exhausting, but I've also played... I've only played the console games at friends' houses. I've never owned it myself as a platform game. Yeah? Yeah, same. Same. Friends' houses only. I haven't ever owned the game itself. What what about you, Jamie? I I never really got into the game, um, but I play video games in general I do remember playing it once or twice but I've never been a huge fan of the scrolling game so because it was kind of like the you know the 2d scrolling game um that was part of the reason I didn't get into it I do remember him in Donkey Kong back in Mm -hmm. you know when I was like knee high to a grasshopper 
But um, other than that, I don't have much experience with the game. <clears throat> yeah, I believe I just, actually Donkey Kong is available online for free now. Oh, cool, cool. Oh. I might give that a, a, a look in. Yeah, no, but I do remember, you know, the character. You know, obviously I grew up with the character around me. I just never really got into the game. And I have played it once or twice, just never really, you know, mainstream for me. Um, but that was because I was more and more into playing the 3D kind of open world exploration type games Mm -hmm. so yeah um so what did you think of the film wow where to start (laughs) it's it's a whole sensory overload yeah given this was the very first film they ever made based on a video game so uh, um yeah it, it it was it was weird for me and it I, was super weird and yeah, in ways yeah. that weren't always intentional, I think. It seems like the best parts of the film were the bookends of the film. And it had like a very clever kind of opening in terms of starting with a pixelated screen and then transforming itself into real life. And funnily enough, the best joke is actually in the end credits of the film when um, there's some Japanese businessmen who tried to meet and propose making the computer game of the adventures that have just happened. But um, I want to say one thing in summary. This is a $48 million film. and Which is like $79 million in today's money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it feels like the actual movie feels like it's a background extra for hire wandering around the sets of Beetlejuice, Batman... (laughs) Recall and Brazil without yeah. ever staying long enough to actually read its own lines and establish its identity. That's what I thought I saw. Yeah. See, for me, it was a bit of like a mishmash, well, a bit of a Frankenstein mishmash of kind of like Mad Max, um, Blade Runner, some other sci fi movies. And it's like, let's put Mario and Luigi in here with Princess mm. Daisy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah, for me, it was a bit of a mishmash. And, and also, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the Super Mario um, characters, it was kind of like, you know, if, if you're making a film for the fan base of a video game, it's like at least have characters that people can identify positively. And I, yeah, yeah and I, some, some of the creatures in the, in the film were just like weird. It's like, oh. That's Yoshi. That's Toad. That's a Goomba. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Goomba was the biggest one for me. Like, I, because I remember him, like, the, the Goombas were like those brown mushrooms, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if um, everyone's familiar with the history of this, but apparently there's a few different directors who were in charge of this project. Yeah. Yeah. And, I heard uh, about that. Yeah. And um, it eventually, I think the people who owned, who bought the rights to the film were not the people who eventually directed it. And apparently it was a husband and wife team. Um, if I can remember the name, they were behind um, uh, Mad Max Headroom. Max Headroom. Yeah. Yeah. Big show in the eighties um, on TV, but they were also doing commercials. I think it's Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel. And I think the issue is they were more focused on like props and set design rather than large scale productions up until this point. Yeah, but it doesn't yeah, they help. They did that one the... film before DOA, which yeah. was a well received thriller. Yeah. With Dennis but, Quaid, as I remember. Yeah. yeah, but it didn't help that, you know, they were rewriting the script right up to, you know, the actual minute they were filming. And 
my understanding was that um, it got so bad that people, yeah. you know, the actors just stopped reading scripts because they knew it would be changed like an hour before they started filming. So mm-hmm. there I was a lot of frustration on set because of that. But yeah, they, they just think- didn't see eye to eye, the, you know. Uh, John Leguizamo and uh, Bob Hoskins, they were actually drinking whiskey. On- yeah, they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they, they said it was the only way to get through the day was to... Yeah, yeah. To, and, uh, you know. the, the, it's a bit sad because you've actually got some very high-quality talent in this film. Yeah, so you I, do. I, I just yeah. want to reel off and do a quick name check because you've actually got Dennis Hopper, who before this film had been in Apocalypse Now, You've got John Leguizamo, who'd been in Revenge and Die Hard 2. Even Fiona Shaw, who we know from um, Killing Eve, had been in My Left Foot, which is an Oscar-winning film. <clears throat> and Bob Hoskins had been in Brazil, Mona Lisa, and A Long Good Friday. And even Fisher Stevens had been in A Brother from Another Planet and Accidental Hero. So you've got like a whole cavalcade of actors who've been in very established films. Oh, and Princess Daisy. Uh, I've forgotten her name. I had it, I just forgot. Yeah, but what I would say is that as a collective, like Super Mario Brothers has definitely got to be the low point of every single one of their careers. Like, they've definitely not done a worse one than that. Well, didn't Bob Hoskins say that it was his biggest regret? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that says a lot, really. Well, what, what's the plot about? Like, what, what, what did we think we saw? What did we think it was about? Well, it was the same kind of like, okay, so in the video game, you, you're, you're saving Princess Peaches, or in this case, Princess Daisy, and that's as, exactly what happened. And it's just everything in between. It was To get there was just like, what were these people on? <laughs> but... When you consider the fact that Super Mario is based in fantasy land, so like you've got like fungi, fungi land, you've got dinosaur yeah. land. I can't even remember the names of the lands, but they had different lands, right? In the um, land, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's almost like they tried to incorporate all of those lands in this one film, and it's like, okay, so the king's a fungus, but the mother isn't. Princess Daisy is descended from dinosaurs and that's why she was hatched out of an egg. Mm. But it's kind of like, well, how does that work if she's Mm. descended from dinosaurs? Does that mean that her menstrual cycle while she was on (laughs) Earth, did that mean that she was laying eggs? (laughs) I, I feel like I'm possibly overthinking this. I probably am, but it's like, you know, the logistics is like... Hmm. You've got Do you know, that honestly did not occur to me while I was watching it. But you've got oh, okay. It occurred right. to me because it was, you know, she's an egg. she was born from an egg and descended from... Do- okay. Yeah, overthinking it, sure. But it was still like one of those little things that, you know, kids wouldn't think about. But as an adult, I do. To be honest, <laughs> I don't saw a kid's film anywhere near the screen. Because I think there were too many um, dark and sinister yeah. and at sometimes sexual overtones. Like yeah. If you think about the film moment for moment, there wasn't a, a kind of a toy, a merchandise or a quotable moment that you can imagine yeah. Yeah. a six to 12 year old kid um, yeah. staying in the school playground after they saw the film. Because essentially um, you did have like a love interest story um, in this film, but it's actually 
I think it takes up to 25 minutes before anything significant happens in terms of um, a response or a recall to the game, which is actually, um, I think, Mario um, doing his plumbing work underground. Mm. And I counted the amount of times that Bob Hoskins did it. He only jumped twice in the film. (laughs) And I was very disappointed with that. So the first time he jumped (laughs) was to go into the portal um, to get to the other side of the world. But even then, that wasn't really a jump. Yeah, yeah. but It was was more like a, I'm I'm trying to lean into it. But if you you think Mm. about Super Mario, there's three things that distinguish him from any other character. He jumps really hard. blue overalls and a red hat. He's got a massive moustache, which is half the size of his face. And he jumps. Yeah. That's the yeah. three basic staples. Now, Bob Hoskins yeah. is somebody who wears the moustache and has the look of um, uh, Mario. Uh, Mario. And I think because he played uh, a corporate endorsed sabotage plumber it, called Spore in Brazil, which came out in 1985, he actually needed to redeem himself as a qualified plumber who can actually do his job properly. So I think he had to come back and redeem himself. But I think the other thing about Bob Hoskins in film is he hasn't got a good track record of looking after women uh, or his loved ones because the long Good Friday, um, he, his wife ends up getting kidnapped, played by Helen Mirren. Um, he doesn't quite protect or keep out of harm's way uh, Kathy Tyson in Mona Lisa. I doubt anyone from Zulu Dawn turned, it turned out very well for the women at home. And also, even in the film The Cotton Club, his best friend and right-hand man gets kidnapped, and that's uh, Fred Gwynn. But the thing about Bob Hoskins is I felt this film was about trying to steal some of his Who Frames Roger Rabbit magic because it felt like they was looking for some kind of lucky charm to make this film work. But they originally wanted Danny DeVito. I think they offered Danny DeVito the chance Mm. to star in it and direct it because they wanted a director and he turned it down. And they also offered it to, um, I'm trying to remember the name now, Harold Ramis, who had written Ghostbusters. And Mm. clearly Ghostbusters was one of the films that they were, I want to say ripping off. Let's just call it how it is. That's one of the films they were ripping off at the start. Where you've got New York and the van and... (laughs) They've got that um, Ghostbusters, <clears throat> would-be Ghostbusters-type atmosphere for the first 10 yeah. minutes or so of the film until it turns into Total Recall slash Blade Runner slash... Actually, yeah. not Total Recall, because that hadn't happened yet, but Blade <laughs> Runner, yeah. all of that. It's a good shout, because I think the production or set designer actually used... His name was David L. Snyder, and uh, one of the reasons... I mean, the script by um, the husband and wife team who were from Max Headroom, they wanted to do like an adult version of, they saw an adult version of what was this kid's game because they were based on the fact that adults were playing the game as much as young kids. So they were trying to go for this post-apocalyptic future and the city that they transferred to in this magical pool is actually supposed to be Dino Hatton, which is actually somehow full of um, evolved dinosaurs, prostitutes, strippers and drug dealers who Mm. all managed to find time to go to a nightclub at the same time. If I can just correct myself, I realised Total Recall had happened. Obviously it had happened. Yeah, Yeah, Total Recall had already happened. I think Batman had happened two years before or three years before this film. And it turns out that the production designer, whose name I'm going to mention, David L. Snyder, Mm -hmm. he he managed to grab 
the uh, battered New York taxis and flashing neon signs, which were actually leftovers from his work on Blade One. So he's actually, there's been a, a, a repurposing of certain like costumes, um, apparel and props, which is why there's a kind of 1990 Tim Burton's Batman feel like doused with total recall set design and props. Yeah. And, you know, and that's fine that, that they wanted the gritty feel, but I also feel that, you know, okay, Super Mario, the video game, when you look yeah. at the fan base, it's children. So mm-hmm. why would you turn a children's video game into a film for adults, really, when you think about it? Because it makes no sense for me. You know, if I was a kid and I was looking forward to my video game on the big screen as a film, you know, yeah. the last thing I want to see is, oh, P, you know, an R, whatever it was, and being too young to see it because yeah. it's too gritty or it's too adult or whatever or too scary. Mm. And, you know, you, 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 like Super Mario is a very colourful game. It's a very, very light-hearted game. And they took all of that away and put it into a film which, you know, it, it just didn't do the it didn't translate from the game for the players, I don't think, because the characters weren't there, you know, as, as you would have loved them in the video game. Mm-hmm. And you, you couldn't, it was almost like you could have called it anything else, you know, and, not, and, and just had Mario and Luigi as different names and it would have worked really well. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have thought of it as a, as a Super Mario film. It would yeah. have done really well just as a film on its own with another title. But yeah. once you kind of like put those characters in there, it's kind of like, well, this is not what I expected because you, 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 you take the name yeah. and you relate it back to the game and it is nothing near the game whatsoever. And I think that's where they did, I, I think that's where they disrespected the fan base in a lot of ways because it, it just wasn't comprehensible and, and you couldn't take it back to the video game. Well, the, the thing is, me. you mentioned a, an interesting word, which was translate, and that comprehensible is another one. Because um, looking at some of the online stories that have emerged about how this film came into production, it seems like the original people who bought the rights for the film bought it for five hundred thousand dollars, I think, which was like apparently very cheap at the time. It took them. Uh, something like 10 weeks of negotiating, but it never really had a proper conversation with Nintendo. And the game developers never really argued specifically about the direction of the script. It was more about how much money you're going to give us and how long you're going to keep the rights for. So there wasn't there, there wasn't really a, um, a forced uh, edict about what type of story the film should be. And I think that may have a lot to do with perhaps... Um, bold, brash Americans meeting Japanese in a kind of business sense and Japanese people culturally I suppose they're not as expressive or extrovert or domineering when it comes to negotiating and it feels like the Americans may have just trampled all over them and seen as a sign as we've got carte blanche to do mm. whatever well, we want and yeah, it was almost like, a little I'm, bit of that. yeah it was almost like oh I've got the characters, that's all I need I'm going to do what I want Exactly. Um, and, and I think it just really ruined it for the fan base. The movie was a yeah. huge disappointment as a result. Well, there's no, there's no fan service at all because, I mean, 
if you're talking not about for the film, not for you, the film. Yeah, if you're talking about suspension of disbelief, I mean, okay, the love interest, um, is, it felt a bit fake. I mean, the whole idea of a first date uh, with two characters, which l- leads to entering to an unsecured site in an excavation. Yeah, room. on the first um, date. Yeah, <laughs> and in the underground of like um, oh, the yeah. top of the of the night. That's pretty harsh. Um, I mean, that's a date rape scene waiting to happen. And that's a very adult thing for me to see in a kid's game. And then the thing that the Mario is uh, famous for is um, uh, plumbing. And you don't actually see him doing that until I think it's like 26 minutes into the film. You actually get an appearance from an Evian water bottle as product placement, like oh, yeah. four minutes into the film, in this yeah. kind of hacked attempt to kind of uh, show who's paying for the film. And I think later on, there's um, a character which is authentic, which is the bob uh, which is familiar to anyone who plays the game. Yeah, that's the only original. Yeah. That's the only but thing it, that came from the... Exactly. And they spoiled that because when it ends up walking upside down, you get the second piece yeah. of uh, obscure product placement where it's like Reebok and now suddenly deciding to like jumping on the bandwagon at the end of the film and also attach themselves to a terrorist device, which doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah, yeah. A lot of kind of mishmash there. But, you know, Frankenstein. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, yeah. who, who would you say gave the best performance under the circumstances of what this film was? Oh, you know, that's a hard one because I, it, 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 I could feel that Dennis Hopper didn't want to be there. Mm. I've, I think his performance exuded, I want to get this over and done with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, um, I think they tried, but under the circumstances, I don't think, they gave their best performances. It was all very caricatured and yeah. over the top. Um, it feels which like may, some... which may or may not have been their direction. I don't know, but yeah. it, it. I wouldn't have said that any of them had their best performances in this. Yeah, I'd say what Dennis Hopper does have going for him in this film is he is weirdly reminiscent of Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you saw that too? Oh my god! I thought I was the only one. I was like. It's but not he, just you, Jamie. Uh, yeah, it was like... It's a mix of Donald Trump and Max Headroom at the same time because of the hairstyle. Yeah, the headrows, yeah. yeah. The cornrows, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, let's face it, is a style Donald Trump is not going to be adopting. No, I think it was just the nose and the lips. Yeah, it was just very Donald Trump. It's like, ooh. Yeah, that and the imprisonment. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Should we talk oh, about precinct yeah. scene? I mean, that looked like it was walking into like a Victoria's Secret kind of dungeon or something like that. <laughs> I so wouldn't know, Trevor. Madonna spiked um, rubber suits. You don't get out often enough in quarantine, Don. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, the, but you see, I'll, mean, I'll Google it. Hold on. But the thing is, it, it, I was remembering it now, and it's like most films in a police scene, or they go to a police precinct. Okay, you see someone central booking see someone get stabbed or what you in for, they slam him into a, into a jail cell. And it's like the first time you see a police officer, you get a long, unexplained limb in tights, black tights and stockings, and a stiletto tickling... Yeah, the massaging officer. his shoulder. Yeah, it was yeah. like, 
so random. And I was like, what yeah. is that? I had to rewatch it. I rewinded it and I was like, why is her stiletto giving him a shoulder massage? It's like so weird. It's like random, so random. Yeah, it's, uh, it's such a hybrid because it, it, it feels like, I mean, you've got the Dutch angle, which is obviously trying to identify itself as the, um, the Batman film or the Tim Burton's film at the beginning. Then you've got like the Total Recall props, but then, then you get these moments when you suddenly feel like, is this a, like a Madonna video that I'm watching <laughs> or like an advert for some kind of online service that I, I should be um, only exist online or something. So I was really confused about the images that they were putting up against this kind of child's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a child's story, but this game, game character. It just, there's nothing that felt yeah. I mean, this about it at all. And I think that's part of my problem with it is that, like, they're not lovable characters. Yeah. They're not really, you know, the, the cutesy lovable characters. Like, mm-hmm. like even jo- um, Yoshi, you know, the little dinosaur dragon thing, is like, it's yeah. not, not, I would have expected him to be a little bit more cuter. Well, that he, it was almost like they just grabbed a prop from Jurassic Park and shoved it in. Yeah. Oh, I've got to get a dinosaur in there. <laughs> well, I, I think everybody got tainted with the CD paintbrush in this film because the way the plot goes, and I don't think any plot should ever, any film should ever be based on two plumbers looking for a rock and then losing it. But the, the thing is... <laughs> you can say that again. Yeah. And the, <laughs> never mind the fact that um, Bob Hoskins, uh, as innuendo, gets a chance to kind of inspect the pipes again. But the thing is, they somehow ended up making Super Mario sleazy by putting him in a nightclub scene in some kind of zoot suit and yep. dancing with a woman in a kind of a rubber S&M outfit where he was trying to kind of pickpocket her from a neck jewelry, what was neck jewelry at the time. To the point it ended up in his mouth and he was kind of grinding on her and it was just like his this- face was in his cl- in her cleavage. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, this is for kids. This is supposed to be a, a film for kids. No, it's not a film for kids. Don't give, don't show your children this. The, the only logic <laughs> behind that scene would be like Bob Hoskins must have said he was gonna walk out when they ran out of whiskey and they <laughs> said, Look, we're just gonna put this scene in for you. Where you can you rub your head between this woman's boobs and then this will be over in three or four days? Because I think contractually, oh. it, there's no reason for that to be in the film. No, there isn't. And I, I would have thought that the actress would have felt like really kind of offended, exploited. Yeah, I, I think she, I think she might have been. I mean, like if I was like in that position, I'd feel like, ooh, I did not sign up for this. And actually, another thing was that when the actors. Um, signed up for the film um, mm. the script they ended up filming was nothing close yeah. to what they had signed up for so you I know mean, uh, yeah I mean I mean, there's another thing I, I wanted to mention as well because like this whole kind of BDSM symbolism it's not just reserved for the club's side characters and Bob Hoskins like even Fiona Shaw doesn't get away with it like there's an unexplained, I mean, you could call it primordial soup, but there's this kind of unexplained scene halfway through the film where she's in a mud bath with a naked, what we assume is a naked Dennis Hopper, um, as the evil character, like faxing out the details of their plan, and they get yeah. interrupted by two henchmen. And I'm thinking, 
Like, there really is no reason for that scene to exist other than they were obviously trying to, I don't know, explore something which had nothing to do with the film because there were no checks and balances. And that's another weird thing is that his character, King Cooper, is a germaphobe as well. So, and like, yeah. I think in the, in the mud bath, who, who was like, um, mud is so dirty it's clean. Yeah, it's yeah, gra- yeah, it's great or something. I can't remember the exact words, but it's like you're a germaphobe and you're sitting in a pool of mud. Mm, mm. Makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's this film has got like several Achilles heels all over it. Oh, um, yeah, all over the place. And, and I think when you've got a villain who ends up saying like the least urgent dialogue in any action film ever, and I've timed it 48 minutes, 32 seconds. If you do not return with the plumbers and the rock, I shall personally kill you. That line should never exist in any film, ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say it again. If you do not return with the plumbers and the rock, I shall personally kill you. How low do the stakes have to be in in that (laughs) film? I mean, (laughs) even if you're calling it Dino Hatton. I do remember that exact bit. I, I did enjoy Fiona Shaw greeting the two useless henchmen with hello morons, mm. which is how I felt about the film in general. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know and there is a kind of frisson from seeing Fiona Shaw, if you know her from Killing Eve. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, I, I mean, she does a marvellous mm. American accent as well, but I felt there was a meta moment in the film where, because Fisher Stevens, and I can't remember whose other characters, he's kind of like a Danny Trejo type. Um, and he's quite he's been in around as a lot of like bad boy villains in film. But these two are just like these low level henchmen who are they're apparently they're not supposed to be um very intelligent because the main plot of the film is um there's these base they've taken like dinosaurs who've kind of created some kind of chamber to help themselves evolve, but they're separate that they've been separated on a different timeline and you're trying to bring them back together so that the dinosaurs who've evolved into kind of semi-humanoid characters now over spill into our world and overtake the earth but the the thing is you get the idea that these two characters are just dumb then when i go back to dino hat it turns out that they are actually dinosaurs who've evolved uh, because they've gone through this machine and then dennis hopper puts them through the machine again so they can be like these super intelligent versions of themselves and there's this kind of strange moment uh, um and again i timed it again one hour 11 minutes 58 seconds where Fisher Stevens, as his character um, Iggy, is kind of uh, being marched down um, a corridor by these kind of dinosaur creatures who've been dumbed down. And he literally says the line, is it possible you could assist us in escaping? And it's almost like (laughs) they're two actors who are trying to find a way out of the film while they're (laughs) making the film. And it's never been, it's the most chilling line of the whole thing because everything up to this point, and I'm talking about one hour and 20 minutes into the film, still doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I, I think that comes down to the Frankenstein mishmash that they had because with the script changes, um, according to what I read, they made up all of their lines. Um, Spike and Iggy as their characters, all yeah. of their lines were improvised because the, the they basically threw the script in the bin because it was changing all the time anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, Dom, no. what did you think of the dialogue yourself? Like, was there anything that stood out for you? I think the one line that I recall right now is um, Bob Hoskins saying, strap your belt on, we're going in. <laughs> <laughs> and there was like a close-up punching in on him as he said this significant um, dialogue. Yeah. But yeah, it was mostly atrocious. I mean, Some of it was very, very functional. Some of it didn't even make sense. I still don't understand why there was a pizza involved. Pizza? Oh, yeah. That was a, yeah, because Dundas Hopper was all in a pizza. Half, 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 half yeah, half, where's half, my pizza? And then yeah. it was like, yeah, I mean, what does... Oh, yeah, well, oh, maybe that's like um, a hangover from like three drafts of the script back that had a payoff that they took out and then they you forgot to remove the other references. That sounds that sounds maybe. like a line where two writers are probably in the same room and one person is actually saying something in real life and the other one probably thought that was actual dialogue. And they just... <laughs> 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 yeah. But, yeah, but seeing this is a film about plumbing, uh, a, a, a famous plumber and things going wrong, like, what are two or three things that could have been fixed, do you think, or tourniquets that could have been tightened up to make this better? Wow. Um, Colour. Because <laughs> it, it was drab, wasn't it? it was yeah. It, but I think that comes from my, you know, my experience of the game, which isn't much. Yeah. But you still remember the bright colours. You still remember the, the happy tune. You still, you know... And they're very basic things because it was a very basic game in, in the scheme of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, and and also you know the whole gritty look, the whole you know, it it just fell flat because it just was so far removed from the video game, and it's kind of like it's an adaptation from a video game. It's like these yeah. people know nothing about the video game. Yeah, That's, it was created by people who just didn't understand the fan base or didn't care about the fan base. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, apparently they they were aware of the video game. They had played it, but they only did like their elementary research. So they weren't actually trying to understand the culture of the people who were trying to play the game. They were just trying to find things in the game that would suit the story they they wanted to tell. But you would think that that was their target target audience, though, wouldn't yeah. you? I mean, like, if, if, if you're making a film based on a video game, then your fan base is the video game MERS. Yeah. I would have thought. So, I yeah, no, it, yeah. Going on. back to what would improve it, a better performance from Dennis Hopper, because at that point, Dennis Hopper was probably the A-list first choice go-to guy for playing villains. He was, like, mm. literally mm. the most famous actor for playing villains in yeah. the world at that point. Yeah. And they failed to get any conviction out of him because they didn't give him something that he could get his teeth into. Yeah. I think, I did, I think I, they offered him something that he could get his teeth into. I think they just changed it when he actually got on the set. I think that's the problem. Yeah, they changed the script. Yeah, yeah, they changed the script so much that what they ended up filming was not what he agreed to. I can't, and, imagine, yeah. I can't imagine that script or what eventually got filmed being something that could attract the likes of Bob Hoskins... And I'm talking about at the time, obviously, people probably don't know that, yeah. but I don't think it would attract Bob Hoskins, Dennis Hopper, John Leguizamo as an up-and-coming star. I mean, I think Fisher Stevens, he done Short Circuit 1 and 2. He was top property then, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. But the, um, I, I've got a feeling that there's two big things that could have changed about this film. 
which is, um, I think, from a script or story writing point of view, I think the first 25 minutes is such a big waste of time. Like, it would have just made sense if we start the film with Mario getting a phone call and his first job is going to the university to get the job or the assignment and then having to go to from the university to the excavation site. That's sort of screenwriting 101, isn't it? Yeah. The story and, should start at the last possible point. Yeah, and then you could just get rid yeah. of all of the exposition in the car journey so they can understand the job that they're going to do, which is supposed to be a small plumbing job, which blows up out of proportion because it gets sabotaged. And then by, I think it was Scapelli or something like that. Was the, yeah, Scapelli. I mean, like, he's, he's, he feels, like, inappropriate now. Like, yeah, yeah. Know, and, but the thing is, if they had gone with that, then, you, then you've got a story where it's like, okay, these are good plumbers who are trying to get a big contract, which is a normal thing to do. And mm. that, that opportunity has been um, messed up in some way. And now they've got to kind of save their reputation by doing a little bit extra and then accidentally finding a portal. That's like, you've got 15 minutes chopped off right there. Like you don't have to do the whole love interest going on date thing. Now you've got this kind of buddy-buddy movie from the beginning. And um, I think the other thing that I didn't like about it is, I think the fan service is, it was a platform game and it was sideways scrolling. And I think there was like three or four scenes where they should have just played with that. I think there was this um, kind of, ceiling raining rat carousel that they used as a um an escape plan to get out of the police precinct after they get arrested um for going on the other side of the port and being found as wanted criminals and i felt that's like a perfect chance to just do an in-joke sidewards scrolling shot to kind of just make a reference to the computer game because everybody all the prisoners were in their boxes as background in cages and I think you're right. That's how did they miss that trick? Yeah, and because the thing is, the whole fit, the whole rack is in a line anyway. And then the car chase, which was on straight roads anyway, if and because there's people in and around the space, that felt like another great opportunity to kind of bounce into knock things up and bouncing into the air as another sideways scrolling thing. So I think, and I don't think I think Super Mario he does sorry Mario he does free costume changes before he actually wears anything blue. Like, yeah, he, he I know. He a reference point when he puts on the clothes um, or when he puts on the sky boots to disappear out of the club. They should have at least let him put part of his outfit together so it was kind of cobbled together and earned in some kind of way. You know? And on yeah. that theme, I think the music could have been a lot more reminiscent of the music from yeah. the Super Mario game. It yeah, was by yeah. um, Alan Silvestri, who's like a stalwart Hollywood composer, but yeah. it had nothing to do with the sound of the um, the game at all. It was like a standard yeah. Hollywood score, actually, underscoring all the they, moments with strings. I think they did actually use the game music in the film, but it was at a bit where um, when Princess Daisy is kind of, she's kind of making her own escape after the fight scene that she kind of has with Fiona Shaw, um, she ends up typing into some keypads, I think, to kind of find out what's going on or unlock some doors. And that's where you hear the game music. And I think that's a very, it's, it's a really weird payoff. And yeah. 
not but, satisfying at all. Yeah. But yeah, that would have been, the game music would have been perfect for that sideways scrolling shot of them escaping from the prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the thing is, like, even in the, um, because they could have played it out as, um, I mean, if anyone's familiar with Total Recall, the film, it's kind of like this incubated city which has all the oxygen controlled in a kind of a Mad Max Thunderdome type way. And it seems like there's a lot of propaganda and messages about um, Kim Cooper, who's played by, um, uh, what's his name? Dennis Hopper. Hopper. So it felt, it felt like if there's a Tannoy system announcing the political um, reasons to vote for, continue with this kind of authoritarian society, it would be funny to contrast it with this kind of upbeat, digital 8-bit music to kind of keep people happy sort of thing because that would have been a way to kind of just shoo in the music in a, in a way that mm. felt like oppressive but also organic to the film. Yeah, like say mm. everything is awesome in the Lego movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was relatable because everything was just so very Lego-like, if you know what mm. I mean. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's time or we've got time for so what would you say to the audience watch it Oof. not watch it do you know play what? the game do you know you said actually jamie you said something quite interesting about this film earlier in the week when we was decided whether we should watch it or not and i'll admit that i was actually scared of watching this film like i was more scared than any other horror movie that i <laughs> The pain was real. The yeah, pain was real. And it was kind of like watching this film felt like holding my breath underwater while somebody was punching me in the guts. That's how wow. I, I, I really wanted it to be over quickly. But the, um, I think if you're a film fan or a computer game fan, you don't want to watch this film. But I think if you're a filmmaker who wants to observe how, how not to do it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really strange. It's like, in terms of, because you've all the ingredients there, like the budget is there. They've obviously had different film dates. They've had the cast. But if you break down and watch the scenes, even like there's so many um, uh, close, close up shots. There's this kind of unexplained reason why they go into this kind of evil Ted two moment where Louis, Luigi and Mario are outside of the city walking some kind of desert terrain, which is totally mm. unnecessary in the film. It's weird. It's yeah, just weird. Just illogical and inconsistent is, yeah, so, is for me. Yeah, so I, don't even think you can, I don't think you can hate watch this film. I don't think this is going to be like The Room with Tony Wizard where it's got cult moments. And I don't think it's a sing-along film like Rocky Horror Show. But I think if you want to kind of um, do the DNA of how films get out of control and like where things can go wrong. It seems yeah. an interesting analysis because obviously yeah. it started with good intentions. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to look at it like yeah. read the story about how the film got made before yeah. you watch it. And then yeah, no, I definitely agree. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. It, it's definitely one of those films where it's like a very good of example of how not to do a, a video game to film adaptation yeah. um, at, for so many reasons, for so many reasons. Um, but I think that if you forget that it's a Super Mario film, I think, you know, kids will love it. Yeah. Um, and if you kind of like, 
take note of some, you know, adult scenes which probably shouldn't be there. It's okay. But mm. as if but knowing that it's a video game adaptation, if you're coming from video game watching the film, you will be disappointed. Yeah. The Goombas for me were like, what is that? Um, there was this film that came out recently called Assassin's Creed. I mean, I should be using The Mandalorian because it's the Star Wars franchise. But I just want to say one other thing. As a corporate entity, the film doesn't make sense as well because there's no um, moments in the film that are kind of trailer-worthy. And uh, there's no catchphrases in the film. That I think the that. strap your belt on. I think that was meant to be the trailer-worthy line. Yeah. And, and and again, there's no toys in the film because, like, I think that at one point Fiona Shaw, I think she stabs somebody in the neck with a knife or a pair of scissors. Like, he, there's he, no he's kind of pro- dead and, Yoshi. And Yoshi, yes, yeah, dead, dead, dead the then, dinosaur, the yeah, dinosaur. And then in 26 minutes into the film, you've got um, the action, which is Super Mario calling out different wrench numbers so he can fix a leak in the underground. So. There's no moment in it where you say, okay, these toys are going to sell like a baby Yoda at Christmas. So mm. I think a lot of corporate films and studio, a lot of studios that are making these big flagpole films, I think now they are, they, they batten down the hatches and there's like 10 stable films of you have to have these actors, you have to have these gimmicks, you have to have these toys, you have to have this weird alien creature that people mm. robot that people can be fascinated about and buy it as a Christmas toy, etc. And um, I think if you look at how I think it was Solo that got the film, that's another example of a big franchise film where the director, or I think it's the two directors, ironically, of the Lego movie who were originally on that, and they tried to do something a bit different and go their own way, and they ended up having to get replaced by Ron Howard so they can do what the mm. franchise was committed to. And I think another version of Star Wars, which was by, um, I want to say Ryan Wrigley, but that's not his name. He's, uh, he did um, Star, Star Wars The Force Awakens. And he's like another independent director who, he's got the most... Ryan Johnson. Sorry, Ryan Johnson, thank you. He's got the most criticism for taking the Star Wars story in a slightly different direction. So Unfairly so, in my opinion. Yeah, so I think Super Mario is the film is the fly in the ointment of the film industry soup where no one wants to make a film that bad and that unprofitable again when the keys to success were laid out before it. I enjoyed the opening bits in part as I enjoy every film which is shot in New York before, say, about the mid-90s where it still had this gritty feel to it. And I liked the little use of locations at the beginning. And I also did enjoy that 80s slash early 90s look. I mean, it looked like they'd used the world supply of dry ice in that film. Mm. I mean, maybe they used up all the dry ice because I don't think anyone ever tried to make a (laughs) film in that style again. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah. So essentially, you know, watch it if you want to learn something. Otherwise, don't. (laughs) I think the happiest person in that film had to be John Leguizamo because... Uh, oh, yeah. He, started, he, he always had a Luigi. positive outlook. Yeah, but he started off as Luigi. He got the space boots, and he seemingly... When he they left um, the area, it looks like he exited Dino Hatton 
and he ended up somewhere in Spanish Harlem, ditched his plumber Just apprenticeship, and um, he came back as Benny Blanco from the box. <laughs> because <laughs> the funny thing about Super Mario is his film career trajectory took off because Carlito's Way was the other film that he did in that same year. All right, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, do watch the film if you want to, but just brace yourself. Um, it isn't that cohesive, but might, I can see why some people would enjoy it. So, yeah, that's goodbye from us. Goodbye from Dom. Goodbye. Goodbye from TJ. Ciao for now. Adios, everyone.